There was a time in my life when I imagined my duty as a Christian and my gift to the world would be all the things I did well. It sounds idealistic and maybe even a little bit arrogant when I say it out loud to you all now, but when I was younger, a lot younger, I thought God would take my earnest desire to bring glory to him and turn it into a nearly perfect marriage, kids who loved Jesus wholeheartedly, and many neighbors coming to know Jesus on a regular basis. Well, if you know very much about me or my family, you know that things have not yet turned out that way. Some of you know the very real struggles that Matt and I have had in our marriage. You may know that one of my children no longer attends church. And that in the nearly two decades we have lived in our neighborhood, although we have many good friends and have had several block parties, none of our neighbors have expressed a specific desire in getting to know Jesus. And as you can tell in hearing me speak now, it's painful still to say it. It's painful to think that somehow I might have let Matt down, or God down, or my kids down, or, or even you as a church down. But recently, I've started asking myself a different question. What if my gift to the world is all the things that I don't do well? What if those places of weakness in me and in my life are places where God is more evident? What if those places that I'm not particularly pleased about, places where I feel weak, what if those are the places where God can most effectively bring glory to himself? What if my imperfections are even a gift to you, my community? Now, I would choose every time to be the poster person for best mother, best wife, best pastor. But it turns out my gift to the world is to lower the bar for everyone else. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> now, don't think I'm being too hard on myself. Don't start feeling sorry to, for me. I mean, if you want to send me an encouraging email, that's fine. But there's been something quite freeing about this realization. These days, most days, on my good days, I've accepted that what I'm meant to do, and maybe what we're all meant to do, is to model what it looks like to try again after failing. Maybe what we're all meant to do is to show what it looks like to follow Jesus even when things don't turn out the way that we hope. And maybe you're sitting there thinking, wow, she's been listening to a lot of Brene Brown. <laughs> but let me tell you that it's not Brene Brown that I got this from. It's the Apostle Paul. And it's not from reading anything that Brene Brown wrote. It's from actually reading 2 Corinthians. And did Paul come up with this on his own? No, actually. 
He came up with it when he looked at Jesus and considered the pattern of the life and the death of Jesus. He got it all from Jesus. Here in 2 Corinthians, we have a unique opportunity to see Paul at his best or worst, depending on how you look at it. Paul is at his most vulnerable. Paul's imperfections are on display like in no other place. This is the most personal of Paul's letters where we learn the most about him and the most about his tumultuous relationship with this pesky church in Corinth. We see firsthand a person whose life includes the experience of great supernatural intervention from God, great victory, and also great struggle and frustration. In the weeks to come, we're going to focus on different themes in this book, all of them under the umbrella of this idea, weakness is the way. How do we walk in the way of weakness, which is actually the way of Christ? How do we walk in this way in different aspects of our lives, in, in, in the way that we are with one another in relationship, in the experience of suffering, in the experience of conflict, in the way that we even use our money How do we walk in the way of weakness in those different places in our lives? That's what we're going to be talking about in this series. And we're going to be encountering uh, this idea thematically. So we're not going to be going through the the order of the book specifically, but we are going to cover the big themes of 2 Corinthians under this larger umbrella theme of weakness is the way. And so we're going to begin today not with the theme, but with the backstory. The backstory of this book, which actually embodies the theme itself. One biblical scholar says the backstory of 2 Corinthians is actually uh, the, the gift and the wrapping paper are, are the same. So the wrapping paper is, is uh, something that we often think of as this like extraneous thing, but it's like, no, no, the, the wrapping paper is a part of the gift. So the backstory is a part of the message of this book, and that's why I'm going to take some time to focus on that today. And it's also really interesting and really perversely encouraging to me. So hopefully it will be to you as well. So Paul, the Apostle Paul, had this incredible supernatural conversion experience on the Damascus Road, encountered an audible voice, was struck blind for a time, and then healed of his blindness. He knew it was Jesus. This is the man now who is in this complicated relationship with the church of Corinth. So he founded the church in Corinth around 154 Common Era. It was the largest city in Roman Greece at the time, a diverse population, a very kind of cosmopolitan feel. After planting that church, Paul spent about a year and a half there, teaching others the way of Christ and presumably building the church. And then he moved on. Sometime after Paul left, internal divisions start to emerge within this church. People in the church have this hyper-spirituality that is very misguided, and it, and it looks like a kind of obsession with spiritual gifts, the very showy ones, especially the ones that have to do with speaking in tongues, So this hyper-spirituality around spiritual gifts and also this misunderstanding about 
how the body and spirituality relate to one another. So this, all, this resulted in a lot of sexual promiscuity. Paul writes several letters in response to this church going off the rails. And careful readers of 1st and 2nd Corinthians will notice that there, there are other letters being spoken of here. So we have two letters, 1st Corinthians and 2nd Corinthians, but those are not actually the only letters that Paul wrote to the church of Corinth. Those are the only two letters that exist still. And there is some theory even that 2nd Corinthians might even be two letters kind of stuck together. But in any case, all you need to know is that there's more correspondence than what even we have here in Scripture. So Paul plants the church. Then things start going off the rails. He writes these letters to try and remedy something, and then he goes to visit. The visit does not go well. All we know for sure is that the visit was painful. Painful enough that Paul decides he's not going to make another visit like that anytime soon. He, he writes near the beginning of 2 Corinthians this, these verses which tell us a little bit about what's going on. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 23 and following from the message. Now, are you ready for the real reason I didn't visit you in Corinth? Paul writes, as God is my witness, the only reason I didn't come was to spare you pain. I was being considerate of you, not indifferent, not manipulative. That's why I decided not to make another visit that could only be painful to both of us. If by merely showing up I would put you in an embarrassingly painful position, how would you then be free to cheer and refresh me? Now we don't know what caused the pain in that second visit, but clearly things are not much better now in the midst of Paul writing this letter. So Paul founded the church. Surely he has some sense of authority with the people that he's writing to. But they're not that willing to follow his leadership or to submit to his authority. His words and his actions appear to be consistently misunderstood by the people in Corinth. Basically, if we had to use a Facebook status to describe Paul's relationship with the Corinthians, it's complicated. Listen to the following verses from 2 Corinthians to get an even further sense of what his relationship with them was like. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and opened wide our hearts to you. We are not withholding our affection from you, but you are withholding yours from us. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 1, and then 9 to 11. I like this part. I hear that I'm being painted as cringing and wishy-washy when I'm with you, but harsh and demanding when at a safe distance writing letters. And what's this talk about me bullying you with my letters? His letters are brawny and potent, but in person, he's a weakling and mumbles when he talks. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 20 to 21 I do admit that I have fears when I come. You'll disappoint me, and I'll disappoint you, and in frustration with each other, everything will fall to pieces. Quarrels, jealousy, flaring tempers, taking sides, angry words, vicious rumors, swelled heads, and general bedlam. I don't look forward to a second humiliation by God among you. 
compounded by hot tears over that crowd that keeps sinning over and over in the same old ways, who refuse to turn away from the pigsty of evil, sexual disorder, and indecency in which they wallow. Yikes. Painful letters, embarrassing, humiliating visits, fear of disappointment. A leader described by his followers as writing bullying letters, but cringing and wishy-washy in person. Makes me feel so good. Kind of this perversely encouraging experience. Paul, the super-Christian with the miraculous conversion story, is also the person who experiences weakness, is also the person who experiences conflict, is also the person who's being deeply misunderstood by a people that he loves and is still in the midst of his weakness reaching out to with open arms. A few thousand years removed from the original context as we are now, it's difficult to read Paul's tone. But Paul's honesty about all this is so surprising to me. Some of what he writes in this letter, if you read it all the way through, you could perceive it as defensiveness, perhaps. But there's definitely humility here. This is a leader who is being transparent about the struggle. This is a leader who's experienced God's power in the midst of his disappointment and struggle. This is a leader who is modeling something really important to his community in being honest about what he feels and where he feels that he may have failed. He's modeling something important for his community and for us. We need the story of weakness that Paul tells us in this letter. At least I do. We need the story, first of all, because it normalizes our own experiences of weakness. But more than that, we need the story of weakness because it's the story of Christ. Because it reminds us of his story, of his walk to the cross, of his way of weakness. And I think this conviction for Paul, this conviction that he follows in the footsteps of Christ as he experiences these hardships and these struggles and this weakness, His conviction that he's following his Savior is what helps him to be confident and honest with his community. It's those very experiences, I think, of encountering Jesus in the midst of his weakness that leads Paul to declare phrases like this. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show this all-surpassing power comes from God, not from us. The jar of clay that's maybe cracked in places, not that much to look at and kind of broken, but, oh, there's something special about what is happening in the inside, radiating out. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, Paul says, so that Christ's power may rest on me. Isn't that countercultural? In a world where we celebrate the best and the brightest and the prettiest, the smartest, the richest, the most powerful, and sometimes even I think Christianity has been co-opted by those values. 
where we celebrate all the best and the extraordinarily good, Paul in 2 Corinthians shows us what it looks like to follow a God whose specialty, whose trademark even, is working through human weakness and imperfection. So we need this story because it normalizes our experience of weakness. We need this story because it's the way of Christ. And we need this story because it reminds us that our experience of weakness doesn't just end there because the story of Christ reminds us that that resurrection lies ahead of us. That even after the experience of the cross, there is new life. Chapter 13, verse 4 of 2 Corinthians reminds us of this. Paul says, To be sure, Jesus was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by God's power. Likewise, we are weak in him, yet by God's power, we will live with him. Paul hammers home again and again this experience of weakness, his personal experience of weakness, to the Corinthians because he knew they needed to hear it. The fundamental problem with the Corinthian church was that they had a triumphant, overly triumphant view of the present life. Their understanding of God and their understanding of this present life had no room for weakness. There was no room for weakness in their faith, either weakness in themselves, weakness in their leaders, or weakness in the God that they worshipped. And so, Cap Church, I want to make sure that we learn from the mistakes of the Corinthian church. I don't want for us to be a church that celebrates the brightest and the best, although lots of you here could be perceived that way. I want us to follow Paul's example and Christ's example by embracing our weakness and embracing one another in our weaknesses, being open about them with God, first of all, and with one another, and being people who are safe enough to accept one another in our weaknesses. It is counterintuitive and countercultural to be this, but it is the way of Christ. And it's the way of transformation. It's the only way transformation happens as we are transparent before God, first and foremost. God, I need you. Oh, I need you. We're going to sing today. Every hour I need you. I don't have it all together. I'm desperate for you. I'm weak and I'm imperfect and I trust for you to bring your resurrection power to bear in my life. Maybe today, maybe tomorrow, and maybe not for a long time, but still I trust you will do it. And as we're real about our weaknesses before God and with one another, strength rises up. I love this quote from Jean Vanier. It is such a wonderful reminder that we can be a gift to one another as we share our weaknesses. Jean Vanier, famous uh, Canadian Christian advocate for those who are weak in our midst, he says this, I am struck by how sharing our weaknesses and difficulties is more nourishing to others than sharing our qualities and successes. So 
So maybe I am not the only one whose calling it is to set the bar low. Maybe I'm not the only one whose calling it is to model what trust in Christ in weakness looks like. Maybe that's a calling we all share. What do you think? Do you want to join me? We want to be a community that admits to God the places where we're weak. We want to be a community that's free to admit to one another the places where we're weak and to feel supported, not left hanging. We want to be a community that is safe for one another to admit our need for God. And maybe that looks like receiving prayer on a Sunday morning. Maybe that looks like emailing me, your pastor, and taking me out for coffee to talk about what's really going on in your life. Maybe it looks like being a part of a formation group that we're starting to be able to go really deep with a few trusted people to grow in Christ and to grow in vulnerability with one another. Or maybe it just looks like being a good listener for someone and holding the space while they tell you where they really need God. Above all, friends, I want us to see that we give a gift to one another when we're real. That we give a gift to one another when we admit our weakness. And we give a gift to one another when we express trust in Christ, even when we don't know the end of the story yet. Because we don't know how the Corinthian story ends, actually. I mean, ultimately, we know how it ends because we know the way of the cross ends in new life. But in this now and not yet place, all we know is that death and weakness is not the last word. And so, friends, would you join me now as we pray and admit to God, just even in our own selves, where we need him. Come on up, Andrew and Andrea. And so, God, may we be a community that embraces you in the midst of our weakness. May we be a community that's transformed by this word that when we are weak, your strength and power come in. May we embody that in a myriad of ways as a community. This day, this week, this series, this life. Mold us and shape us into the community that we are meant to be. For we ask these things in the strong name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Thank you.